Welcome to Made for Profit, a podcast where we talk business in the shop and help you monetize as a maker. Each week we cover business topics to help you grow your full-time business or your side hustle. We'll also bring you interviews from a variety of people winning in their space to share valuable business insights and life lessons. I'm Brad Rodriguez, a full-time content creator running FixThisBuildThat.com, and my co-host John Malecki runs a full-time furniture company and his content site, JohnMalecki.com. We've been growing our successful businesses online, and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 67. Now, you may have heard the sayings, the riches are in the niches, and you've got a niche down. So why is it important to be laser focused on what you're doing and how do you figure out what your niche really is? So today we're going to walk through the topic and talk about how John and I have both succeeded and struggled in finding our own niches in different areas and why it's really important and how you should be thinking about it. But before we get into it, we want to thank our new members who joined the MFP Patron Tribe this week. We had Shelby Hahn, Adam LaChapelle, John Cunningham, and AJ from Mulberry Woods. Thank you so much, guys. If you guys want to support the show and get some awesome rewards, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash made for profit. But uh, before we dive in, we also want to talk about there's something that just hit the scene, hit the hit the news here, WorkbenchCon 2019. So uh, you heard us talking about it last year. Tickets recently went on sale uh, and the pre-sale. And so there's actually a pricing structure where it goes up as it goes along. We had a blast last year. Um, I'm actually going to be teaching a class on Instagram again. So I taught one last year. Uh, so much has changed in Instagram that uh, I'm going to re-hit it. So I'll be doing that, and John is going to be out there in the crowd, mingling and answering every question under the sun. Yes, literally every single question. <laughs> but no, um, a lot of the guests we've had on the show uh, this last year are actually going to be at WorkbenchCon this year, which should be awesome. And it should just be a lot of fun. Um, as Brad said, I will be in the crowd, um, and I will be you know, bouncing around from booth to booth, uh, doing a lot more of the one-on-one interaction. I did a ton of that last year um, and I had a blast. And um, we're also, you know, tossing around the idea of doing a made for profit and modern maker podcast meetup. Uh, if you guys and girls are interested in something like that, let us know, drop us a line on Instagram or Facebook. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, and if we should be putting any effort towards it, if not, we'll do something casual like last year. Um, but like Brad said, tickets are limited this year and uh, you're going to definitely want to jump on that pre-sale price. I believe it's $40 cheaper right now through the end of the month, which is October, if you're listening to this on the date we published it. So up until October 31st, you can save $40. And I believe the price does increase through November and then goes up again to its final price. So you're actually saving a ton of money if you jump in now. Um, if you're interested in purchasing a ticket, head on over to bit.ly forward slash WBC 2019. That's bit.ly forward slash WBC 2019. <laughs> yeah, man, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. I, I, I had a blast last year. Uh, we got to talk with a ton of uh, the tribe uh, it was actually funny when they were doing, they do some giveaways there at the end. I'm sure they'll do that again this year. And, uh, it seemed like every other person that won something were like patron or, you know, tribe member is yes. like all these folks is like, Hey, that's somebody from MFP. So, uh, we are super excited, uh, for those of you that we've met last year to get a chance to talk to you again and for everybody new coming. Um, uh, and, and one thing I do want to stress, this is, uh, you know, really for people wanting to, uh, monetize, right? So, uh, we actually had an interesting conversation come up in the, 
um, in the MFP Facebook group and, and people are talking about it, you know, as a hobby, it's like, um, oh, this is not really my business. If this isn't your business, this probably isn't for you. I mean, let's, Unless you're just you really want to go for the experience, uh, you know, probably all in. You're talking a thousand bucks. You can do it for cheaper, I'm sure. But if you're flying, you've got hotel, you've got the ticket. You know, it's not cheap. Uh, but if you do own a business, uh, working the side hustle or you're full time, uh, then there is going to be a great uh, a great way to network, meet sponsors, as well as learn some things from some people who have really figured out again. So tying into the show topic have done a great job in their niche, whether that's email marketing or Pinterest or Instagram or whatever, uh, go and, and learn some from from some of these folks. Yeah. So, One of the most the, valuable well, aspects, I think, to WorkbenchCon is the uh, there's both the content creators in the maker community, the woodworking community, and the, the blogger community, which I loved about last year. I got to meet a lot of the the guys and girls um, over in the blogger community, and they have a lot of great insights on a lot of things that uh, I didn't know anything about in the past. So that was really cool. Um, but as Brad said, definitely for someone looking to monetize or take the leap into becoming um, more of a professional in the uh, digital space, um, not so much in the product space. There's even a couple little things you can get there if you want to get on YouTube or learn how to use Pinterest to grow your business. But it's specifically geared towards the the content creator um, someone looking to take that next step and monetize. So really looking forward to that. Looking forward to seeing all of Yin's there. Uh, Brad and I uh, had a blast last year and, and this should be a good one. It should be fun. Yeah, I'm digging it. Cool. So getting into the show, um, you know, Brad and I have been having this conversation quite frequently lately about niching down and finding your voice and um, uh, encompassing a lot of the, uh, you know, really specific higher level type attributes to a business that really help them win. Um, and that's mostly been because I have been struggling with it. It's been something that hasn't been going uh, great for me in the content space as as well as it did when I was producing a lot more custom furniture. Um, so we wanted to talk about it on the show. We wanted to, to lay it all out there um, and kind of have the conversation with you guys because we do see a lot of value in you know, the type of discovery Brad and I have been doing with my brand and his brand over the past couple of years and and think that we can really, uh, you know, bring a lot of value to you guys. So, you know, first off, I, I personally wanted to jump into um, answering a question I get a lot from custom woodworkers and, and people doing custom work is uh, the concept of being too broad or saying no. We talk about saying no in another episode, but being too broad and, and you know, benefits and, and negatives to that and, uh Getting into it, you know, most of us that are trying to sell custom work and trying to make a living doing custom furniture will get inquiries for the most ridiculous things, you know, <laughs> all over the place. And and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but with that comes the uh, the <laughs> the learning curves that go into it. They come the negative aspects of uh, bringing on a new skill or a new uh, you know look or or something and trying to incorporate new aspects to whatever your your core business is trying to become. Um, so, you know, being too broad is can really be detrimental to actually making real money as a furniture maker. Um, and it, you could think of it specifically in like the context of if you are a an industrial furniture maker like I am to an extent and you're asked to do a Victorian piece. Well, most of us would love to build a Victorian piece, say something like Cremona's High Boy. 
<laughs> for me to do that is going to take so much time. Granted, I could probably get through it. I could learn a lot on the way there, but the time going into it is going to be something that even if I can charge, say, $10,000 for this piece is going to get negated by all of that time going into the learning curve. And this happens a ton with things that aren't that extreme. Those are extremes, specifically with stuff like making chairs or making uh, cabinetry compared to doing tabletops or compared to doing trim molding or interior work. So all of these little buckets that fall into the woodworking or maker community can be easily seen by a, a potential buyer as uh, skills that are all the same, quote unquote. But if you think about it, they can all actually become too broad and deter from what your core brand is. And you can obviously see the cons there. You know, there's new tooling involved with specific types of stuff. Say, for instance, trim carpentry. I get that asked. I get that question a lot. Weirdly. It's like, hey, you know, I got can you do crown molding? And I'm like, well, yeah, I could. But do I want to? Like, no. Yeah, and, right. and, and so <laughs> um, you got to say no to stuff like that. And you can see how being too broad and not finding your niche can easily lead to getting pulled in one too many directions and can be bad for business. So the the concept of like this show i wanted to immediately jump into that because i know a lot of uh a, a lot of the conversation is going to go towards content but in that i want you guys doing custom work to be able to pull from it in that instance think about your business as something that um is one dimensional for you for instance say like you want to be doing one specific style and as you add each little thing to it how that can take away from being the best and most of uh, expert in your area at that one specific style, because it is very important to product and content st structured businesses. Right. Um, and I think this having this idea in your head on where you want to be can lead you into like finding your voice and growing the brand around that voice. We've talked about this on the show previously, that when I got started in the furniture making, I really wanted to build industrial furniture and I wanted to do uh, reclaimed wood as well. So I was taking on jobs left and right in order to learn the skill sets to gear me towards getting there. And then once I started getting more of it, I stopped promoting the things that were outside of where I wanted to be with custom furniture. That being uh, anything that was like craftsman style, anything that was more traditional or more modern. Um, and anything that wasn't in that reclaimed wood and metal type of furniture. And that's literally why I created metal and wood custom furniture uh, to supplement my existing brand. So from the beginning, I had that vision of what I wanted the brand to look like with the type of furniture I wanted to be making. And I started gearing my uh, marketing, I guess, and content towards that as a custom furniture maker. It wasn't that I was saying no, but I knew that it could become a deterrent if people started to see me doing all these different things. And it took me all this time to do all this different stuff and got away from my core focus. And that helped me create my voice, which was and which is metal and wood custom furniture. Um, so I think that's a good starting point for product uh, people and a good starting point for content people as well. Because as you see, I was creating content based around the product and that was geared towards uh, where I wanted that voice to go long term. I think there's a, a ton of goodness in, in just so many aspects of it too, right? So when, when you think about niching down and, and I think, you know, you look at it like a, a lot of us will start and like I started on the, the product side, I thought I was going to sell stuff, right? So I was making small goods and I was making cutting boards and coasters and, and signs and, and things like that. And uh, that 
I, I think it's interesting as you progress. So for, for all you guys and gals out there who are just getting started, um, I think it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting developmental stage, right? And John, you just talked about it, right? You're taking on all those jobs. Like in the beginning, you, you, you can't niche down. It's hard to niche down in the very beginning because A, you don't have enough work and B, you just don't have enough skill. Uh, you don't have enough experience. You just haven't made enough of those things. And uh, part of the niching down too is, is finding where the demand is. And I think we've, we've talked about this uh, before as well, but it's, it's that, you know, to find your niche, it's kind of that, that crosshair of where you have demand and skill and, you know, hopefully profit and passion, right? It's, it's kind of where all those things come together. So when you're just starting out, uh, it, it is good to take on those different things and it is good to be broad. Uh, and then there's that, that whole thing about, are you going to be a mile wide and an inch deep or an inch wide and a mile deep, right? And so everybody, for the most parts, unless you're just kind of been doing it as a hobby and then you decide, okay, and I've, I've made a lot of stuff, but if you're a new, just even new to woodworking, who we have a lot of folks that are, they're just getting into it. They're just figuring it out is that you want to kind of be a mile wide to begin with. And then you start learning, like you said, John, you know, you learn like, okay, here's what the demand is. Here's what I like to do. Here's what I'm good at. Here's what I'm fast at. And as you start narrowing down and you start seeing where the demand in the market is in your, whether you're selling locally or you're selling online or whatever that is, uh, finding, you know, the, the best niches are the unserved markets too. So like when I got into doing cutting boards, Selling cutting boards is not an underserved market. <laughs> Let's just be clear about that. Uh, you know, you can go to Etsy and type in wooden cutting board. And, you know, I, I haven't done it in a while, but I would assume you'd get 30, 40,000 results plus. Uh, so, you know, that is an area where it's hard to it, it's not an underserved market for one. And it is a, a small batch item. The barrier to entry is very, very small. So uh, anybody can make a cutting board. You could, you know, to differentiate yourself, you have to have either higher quality or better designs or, or whatever those things are. And so as you start going through that, you'll start to figure out. And uh, that's when I started doing it. And, and the other thing was, is, is uh, I talk about the cross section or the, not the cross section, but the, the, uh, you know, what is it called? The crossing the beams? Intersection. My gosh. Uh, it's, I, I only had one pack of wasabi almonds today, so I need to have another one, I think, to really get the mind going. <laughs> but it's that intersection of, of passion and all those things, because, you, you know, if you have that bit, you're not going to stay in it for a long time if you don't. And, and my passion was not in cutting boards, even though I really enjoyed it. Uh, after a while, after I made my 20th, 30th, 40th one, I'm like, this is kind of repetitive and I don't really like it. Uh, so, so getting those things and finding it. And then as you gravitate exactly what you're saying, John, you get into that. So you found industrial furniture, but the great thing about it and the benefit is that you become, you start, as you start narrowing down and start narrowing that mile wide into that, you know, towards that inch deep, you start getting this, uh, knowledge and skill set and expertise. And after you've made, if, if cutting boards is your thing, after you've made 200 cutting boards, you're pretty darn good. And guess what? The time it takes you to make your 200th versus your second is going to be exponentially smaller and it's going to be exponentially better and you get better at everything. That's the great thing about niching down is that and finding your niche is when you when you really hone in on that one thing you want to do and whether that's tables and you can do different bases. We're not saying just be bland and make one product, but really understand that because then you can add to your customers so much value when they ask you for a table you can say, yeah, uh, what kind of, do you want a trestle base? Do you want a four poster base? Do you want a pedestal base? Like I've done all these and here's the pros and cons of all of them. And you can speak to that because you are so deep in making tables that you've made so many. 
Yeah. And I think uh, more where this conversation is leaning towards is like not limiting styles. It's more like the general concept of what you're making, because I've been there. I've done whole kitchens, whole restaurants. I've done tables. I've done cutting boards. I've done bar tops. I've done serving trays. You name it. I've probably built it at this point. And with that comes the inefficiencies of the process. A cabinet shop is set up in a specific way in order to maximize efficiency to create the final product. And if you go into a cabinet shop, you're not going to see a lot of the things that are there for a shop that's doing custom furniture in tables, for instance. Uh, You know, you're not going to have something like Black Forest with a 12 by 8 CNC for flattening slabs in a cabinet shop, right? You're going to be getting more spec lumber and it's going to be more three quarter or excuse me, four quarter, five quarter type lumber that's going to have a very specific milling process and your machines aren't going to need to be as big and wide. And, you know, you're, you're going to have a clamping table and yada, yada, yada. So you can see how that specific workflow for cabinetry specifically can be different than tables. Now, the reason we want to talk about this in a deeper context is that once you start getting into doing more and more of this stuff, as small business owners, you do have to pick up certain equipment that goes along with it, especially as us makers. And those that equipment can become uh, a, a hindrance on your business growth because of that investment in it. So, You know, if you want to, if your core business and you really want to get into making slab dining tables, you're not going to want to go and be spending your money on, uh, you know, like a mortising machine or into a a shaper for doing cabinetry doors and moldings and stuff. Like you can easily see how putting a couple thousand bucks over there is a great for a general woodworker or general woodworking shop, but it's not going to give you any more efficiency in the process of making slab furniture. So, you know, this was something that I had to really take a step back and look at. And I was talking to my business coach and I'm like, wow, like I cranked out eight tables in a week for a a pub and it was so fast and efficient and I made great money on the job and everything about that job felt fantastic. And then I went and did like a custom credenza thing for another client out of reclaimed wood. And it took me three weeks and it was because all of the, you know, efficiencies of my other process didn't fit into the, you know, building a, uh, the carcass style build with drawers and pools and, and, and a source top or of stone and like uh, getting into all this other stuff. So like, those are uh, examples from my own personal experience that I've started to realize that I really wanted to hone in on doing just metal bases and wood tops essentially. Um, and then supplementing from there. And my processes started to become more and more efficient in that. And that led to less time to create certain things, which if I'm billing the same thing for two tables and I can do one faster, I'm going to make more money on that because I made up that time in my process and niching down 100% allows you the opportunity to streamline process and adapt your workflow to spe- to fit specific needs for the project types you want to be doing. Yeah. And not only the not only the processes but also the material, right? Like yes. if you know, like if if you know you're doing slab dining tables and coffee tables and you know, end tables and bar tops or whatever, like you can go to your slab dealer and be like, I'm going to buy that whole flitch and like you're going to give me a deal on it. So I'm going to get the entire thing instead of being like I said, you know, somebody who's doing <clears throat> cabinetry and small goods and then somebody says, hey, can you make me a slab top? Uh, yeah, sure. And then you have to go pay 800 bucks for a slab. Yep. 
uh, versus where you could get the whole flitch for 4,000 and get, you know, 10 slabs out of it or yeah. something like that. So and same thing with, with hardware. You know, if you're buying drawer handles, door pulls, hinges, all those little things that if you know, uh, like you, John, like doing metal, like when you go and buy metal, you know, you're going to go buy the 24 footers and you're going to buy a bunch of them into the sense that you're going to buy them for that job. Uh, and then, you know, starting out, obviously, if you're buying in smaller quantities, but and if you have a bigger job, you can buy in the bigger quantities. But like you're you're just going to have metal on hand. Right. Like mm-hmm. so if somebody came up and there was like a rush job and you needed some one by one square tube, like you've got that. Like that's not something you're going to have to go out and get because it's a one off every now and then kind of thing. And uh, it's there's so much there as a product maker uh, around efficiencies, mindset, um, even like the the marketing and just being known as like, hey, I'm the metal and wood guy. I'm metal and wood gal. You know, I am the ball turner uh, lady. And like, you need anything turned? I've got it. And like, I'm a turner. You ask me to make you a coffee table? Guess what? That ain't going to happen because <laughs> my whole shop is set up for turning and for, yeah. for drying roughed out blanks and for all these things. Uh, it's, it's so there's, uh, you know, different niches that um, and I think that's where, where you should look at it. When you when you think of the process of what you're making, like really step back and evaluate what are the things that I really enjoy? What are the things that are really profitable for me? And this goes back to our 80-20 episode, right? What are the things I've made the most money off of? Then go to those other things that took you the longest time. And more than likely, those things that took you the longest time to do fall outside your niche because you weren't comfortable doing them. You didn't have the skill set or the tools or the machinery or the setup or the knowledge or whatever. Uh, And if there's not a high demand there, that's the stuff you knock off. That's the stuff where you go from a mile wide to three quarters of a mile wide. You knock off that extra quarter mile that you say, Mm -hmm. no longer am I doing that stuff. And I'm going to do more and more of, of this to keep me on point. Um, actually, uh, uh, a, a guy that I've seen, you know, on, on, on uh, Instagram and uh, Matt Plumley, we've talked about before. Um, and he is honed down on making arrow signs. He makes those like those three arrows and then he like burns them. They're like, you mm-hmm. know, to, and it's, it's a super simple product. I think it's like one by sixes he uses or one by fours or whatever. And, it, and it's a Chevron and three Chevrons. And if you go and look at his store, like I've been following him for several years now, where he is today, I mean, he has like jigs down, like clamp down jigs. He pounds these things out in like ultra fast production mode because he like he is just he is the Chevron, whatever you call that Chevron sign, dude, arrows on Etsy. And he sells a ton of them. And so his process is so streamlined. He can knock out probably 15 in the time it used to take him to make one. And so think about those processes in, in your group and, you know, it's much, and it's really easy for small goods and stuff like that to get like that, you know, on tables and such though, like you're saying, John, I think setting up the workstations, you know, you're, you're not gonna be able to hammer out a table in two hours, but you know, you can get it to where you're cutting off two hours and set up time. Yeah. And a lot of the inefficiencies I've discovered in my own process over the years have been, have been in material selection for the client. You know, if I leave it wide open for a client to select materials, the project guaranteed add three hours to the whatever it is, just because that discovery process makes things so much more difficult on both parties. When if you are, say, specifically trying to create a certain look or feel around your brand where you only carry three material types, you're only carrying walnut, ash and white oak, you know, then 
the client now understands that you're going to make this look this way. You have a dark wood, you have a light wood and you have a, a yellow wood or more of like a, a richer wood, but whatever. And in that you are able to hold inventory on that. Now I've spoken in the past about how I don't like holding inventory because I don't like the depreciation, but once you start to get into niching down and streamlining, those are the parts of the process that you want to become more efficient at. So, you know, if you look at someone like a, a Jeff Mack designs or a black forest Woodco, they're carrying every piece that they're uh, creating their products with on site. That way they don't have to go and order everything. They, they're bringing in bundles of wood types that they use consistently. And as you scale and have more people on board, then you can start to scale back out and get to where you're holding inventory on a lot of different looking product. And you can make that, that book more vast. But when you're getting started in year one and two, you want to be bringing it down. You want to go, you know, hey, I'm only going to be using walnut, you know, and, and white oak. And that is it. That way a client order comes in the door. You have an inventory of five quarter of this. You have an inventory of four quarter of that. And you can easily take it off the shelf, get it into the milling process and have that project going within hours instead of within days. Because those days of turnaround can be very, very uh, costly for small businesses, especially when you, you don't have a massive pipeline. So, you know, my suggestion in that is, is if when while niching down to your specific core beliefs and core structure for your business, hone in on a design type, hone in on material types, hone in on things that you feel comfortable that if you have them in the shop, they're going to get used up and they're not going to just cost you money. Because I have slabs in my shop right now from Fletch's that I bought and they are wonderful, but like I don't, because I left things wide open to the client always, I was always struggling to move them. You know, so like I can't move a Guanacaste slab as easily as I can move a walnut one. Right. So it, uh, those are like some minor examples of how niching down can really increase the productivity and efficiency of your brand, um, especially as a product creator. Um, and my buddy Josh at Bricker and Beam does a great job of it. He is, you know, walnut, ash, white oak, boom, all day. He carries inventory. We had a little business conversation. He was telling me, you know, that's how he did it. Uh, and his stuff's expanding. He's grown great. And like, it's such a cool thing to see someone executing on that. And then that allows you the ability to develop lines of furniture and carry stock items, which also helps increase uh, productivity. You know, if you have a specific table bases and tops that you go to all the time, you're able to then know your time that goes into that process. And you can really get that whole thing moving yeah. all in the right direction. And you don't have to worry about all the little variables that come in and ruin small business for all of us. Cause that's exactly what got to me was all of the little things that come in. I'm ordering all this wood type. I have nowhere to store it. This metal type, then nowhere to store it. I got to get concrete and then I got to do that. And all this stuff just starts to come and weigh down on the business. And you're like, wait, I made no money this month because it cost me so much in time and I had to order so many materials. So niche down specifically with things like material type, as I said, for the fourth time now and the types of things that you think are that are moving more quickly um hold those to keep that process as fast and efficient as you possibly can yeah i love that idea too like i mean i, mean, I think we're as you really as you see uh, the progression of a, of a business i almost think of it like just as we're sitting here talking i just this picture came in my mind it's like an hourglass mm -hmm. right so you start off wide you come down, you niche down, and then and it maybe it's an extended hourglass, right? With with a, instead of just that niche and then going straight back out, you're wide. You come down, and then you spend some time there. You spend some time really in that niche, 
But then the nice thing about that, and you mentioned some guys like Jeff Mack. So let's let's talk about Jeff for a minute. And and he was a, a great yes. guest on the post. Uh, I think it was episode 30. An awesome mm. episode if you've not listened to that. And he really niched down into tables, right? And he was doing slab tables. And then after he figured that out and like the processes got so in, ingrained and, and just running like a well-oiled machine that then you can start expanding back. And so then, you know, now he's actually selling slabs, right? So he's like, okay, well, we're getting all this goodness from having our material and being able to quickly do these things that I've got these slabs in house. I'm going to start selling these slabs, right? And then he's doing epoxy work. And then now he's, you know, selling epoxy. Like he turned that into a storefront. So he, he saw, again, he saw a need. He was in his niche. So that's the other thing. Okay, when you're in your niche and you're really, you're really just hammering home, if you're doing tables, let's say you're doing trestle tables and that's just killing it for you. But then you get a lot of people that keep asking for four posters, right? They're like, I want, you know, I want a four. Like, well, and you do some of that, right? And you, you go out, but it's still, I'm doing it in the ash. I'm doing it in my material types is that you can start expanding. And, and like you said, John, expanding into different lines. Like once you get something so honed in and it's also as your business grows, maybe you hire on an employee. So you've kind of got this, you've got that, that trestle table design completely down. You have an employee that is completely dedicated to that. Like that is almost self-sufficient then that gives you the opportunity and the bandwidth to open up a little bit. And now you start going into a new design. Maybe you add in, you know, Sons of Sawdust is a great example, right? Like they crushed the table game. But then you see they start they start going into different areas. Now they're, they're starting to put a little bit of metal into their work, right? They were so niched down for so long and they're just hammering stuff out that they're starting to expand and look at that line. I think that those are just great examples of ways that as you get into year two and three, uh, and, and on where you've really niched down that, uh, as you grow, you can start expanding back out. And so it kind of takes that shape of that hourglass, but spending that time kind of in that narrow funnel is going to help you get everything in place to be able to expand and do it in a way that's efficient and that you can, you know, take all those learnings and, and we're talking, uh, we're talking five degree turns here, right? We're not talking one eighties and we're not talking 90 degree turns that are right. We're talking a five degree turn here, another five degree turn here, and you're slowly expanding that niche where now it all becomes something that you're very, very good at as a business. Yeah. And you can easily look at someone like Jeff and go, wow, over the you know course of the past few years, your stuff has really started to increase in creativity. Well, what Jeff did perfectly from the beginning was create efficiency. And he did that by literally moving uh, slab flat tops with metal bases. And then from there started growing out and doing a little bit more creative stuff. And then he started gearing it into his content, which I think is, well, you know, the more brilliant part of things and and where we want to take the conversation is when creating content around niching down, you know, you don't specifically have to show everything happening, uh, when it comes to your business. Like if you're making one product and that's what you want to move, start producing your content around what you want to be moving. Uh, just because you're working on, for instance, you know, a, a credenza or a modern piece of furniture when you want to be doing rustic furniture, doesn't mean that you have to make your content around it. You know, go back, dip into your more rustic builds, show off some things that are pertinent to all categories of furniture. And then, you know, your next piece that happens to be right in line with your your core brand, that's where you really hammer home a bunch of pieces of content around it. And you start to promote the brand that you want to become and that you see you can become instead of everything that you're doing. What happens to a lot of us in the product space and a lot of us in content creation as well is that the only thing we feel like we have content around is what's happening in the moment when that's not 
actually the truth. You are able to create a brand image around what you want it to be. You just have to have your mindset on doing that. So, you know, you look at someone like Jeff and Jeff built a brand around Jeff Mac designs. And what, like what Brad was touching on was brilliant about it was he started incorporating small little aspects around it. And as he grew a following and uh, people started to buy into the brand more than just the product. And that's where you can really start hitting home runs. And that's really kind of what niching down does is that you create this loyal following. You create this um, you know, brand type that is uh, something that people are bought into regardless of the product. And that's really where you're trying to get as any brand. That's where all of the big you know, marketing books and, and speakers and, and webinars and all that good stuff. That's where they're trying to uh, aspire or excuse me, inspire all of us to be is that create a brand that people are bought into and you can sell them whatever you want. I think it's we talked about tribes at the beginning of this show when we started it. And that is like a core belief of it. You know, you build a thousand people, build a tribe of a thousand people that are bought into whatever you're doing. You can sell them anything. It doesn't matter. And that's what niching down really comes to is to is to find that core thousand individuals who are so bought into your brand that you could do anything um, is is so much more important than being able to do everything, if that makes right. sense. So I think Jeff's a great example. Flat, flat surfaces, metal bases, and now he's moved into dabbling in a lot of things. Um, he become a, he's become a massively creative hub for the community uh, as well. And uh, like, you know, the epoxy stuff has been, been a great asset to him, as we've noticed. And I think it's a, a great evolution of, you know, starting down the very straight and narrow path. And then, like Brad said, little five degree turn, little five degree turn. But everything's still progressing in that same direction. You don't just go from making slab tables to now you're doing chairs and spindles, you know. Right. Yeah. And, and I think the interesting thing, you know, as we transition to the content side is that uh, niching down in content, it, it's not as cut and dry. Right. And no. I think that's kind of interesting as as we talk about and like I said, transition. So I started in products and I was like, you know, this really isn't for me. And I kind of I was dabbling in the content side and I figured out that I really like that. And as I started trying to find my my voice and content. So, you know, niching and, and like finding your voice are kind of very similar things when we talk about content is that in the content world, um, niching down doesn't obviously mean like I'm not making a video of a table every week like that, that, that wouldn't work. Niching down in content is more about, um, the niche of how are you portraying what you're doing? You know, how are you delivering it? What is it? Like, are you, uh, somebody like Alex Steele who is like doing a daily and doing a vlog style and just tons and tons of personality and, uh, great montages and video work and like, you know, he found his, that's his niche, even though he's making different stuff all the time. I mean, he's, he's, his basis is in forging obviously, and that's his niche, but he's also got a, a niche that he's in, in a vlog style, um, high energy, super high production value. Like that's what he does. When you go to his channel, you know exactly what to expect, even though you never know what he's going to do each day. And so that's the same thing. So, uh, you know, from my side, what I found is, uh, I love to do educational content. I love to do very clean, bright educational content uh, that is is voiceover driven. I'm not on screen a, a ton, even though I've been trying to, you know, again, I'm trying to make those five degree turns where I, I do that a little bit more. But where I found success was in uh, giving tips and tidbits and tricks along the way as I make all kinds of different things, whether it's for the house uh, or shop furniture, which is, again, another one of, you know, my my kind of little sub niches there is, is shop furniture and furniture and shop organization. 
But then again, you know, I, I can do a playset where I go and refinish my playset, but I do it in the same style that I would do as I'm making a base cabinet, right? So it's very instructional, giving you tips along the way. Um, and so, you know, that's been an interesting thing that, uh, you know, John, for you specifically, as, as you've gone down, I know like you, you've kind of been bouncing around. And I think part of that's a bit of, of the passion and feeling like, you know, what you want to portray, but it, it's been, you know, it's, it's been a journey for you, right? Because you've come, because you were so niched down on the product side. And now as you get into content, it's a little different. Why don't you hit on that for hot minute here. Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's been very difficult and to be blatantly honest with everyone listening, like it, this is the one, this is my biggest struggle in content creation at the moment is that finding my voice has been very hard for me. Um, and it's because of a lot of exterior influence one and, and two, you know, I'm not trained to do this. I'm not, I'm making this up as I go and I'm learning and I'm trying to pull in as much knowledge as I possibly can. And, you know, I don't have any background in this community. I don't have any background in the in the DIY space or the, or the uh, maker community. I kind of taught myself and jumped into all of this. Um, so looking at the like the local market, for instance, in Pittsburgh and realizing that there was an underserved market for industrial furniture was much easier than looking at the general market of content consumption in the maker community and finding where I can fit in there. So with that, you know, I've kind of bounced bounced around for a while on like, what do I want my voice to be? What do I want my message to be? Do I want to be educational? Do I want to be inspiring? Do I want to do a vlog? Do I want to be a personality? Like, where do I want to go? And with that confusion has been time invested in finding each of those parts going into it. And over the last two years, three years of being on, on social media and on YouTube, it's taken away from my opportunity to find, to, to really hone in on one niche because I've had so much confusion going into it. Now, I know a lot of you are going to look at that and go, well, John, you've got 90,000 subscribers. Like I would kill for that. And I get that. It's not that I'm struggling as far as, uh, you know, like those outside um, metrics that a lot of us look at. It's that I truly don't feel like I'm executing on what I could be doing for the community. And, and like, so in that you got to revert back to the numbers, right, Brad? I mean, you, that's, and that's kind of how we quantify things in the influencer community, especially in the maker, especially on YouTube, excuse me. And so like Brad found his voice when he began blogging and really realized the kind of community he wanted to be involved in, who he really could reach out to and have an influence on their life and, and, and what value he could bring to that community. Um, and then he put a lot of time and effort into developing that audience for me, I put time and effort into developing a following around selling product, right? And like I put time and effort into developing products that I wanted people to buy. So when I jumped on YouTube, that was a terrible conversion because the, those same people don't really care. Like why would some why would a, you know, someone who's looking to buy a new dining table want to watch how to make a dining table? It doesn't as you can see right. it easily doesn't There's make sense. So looking at the confusion that I'm yeah, I had at my heart and, and in my core on who I was on Instagram and why I was doing it and then why I got on YouTube. Um, it really makes a lot of sense when you look at the numbers on why my growth isn't really there as much as it is with other people. And so like I've been really diving into this because I truly do think that I'm missing out on a lot of the value I could be adding to each and every one of you listening and everyone watching my stuff just because I hold back on certain aspects of of life and like what I want to be doing and where I could be. 
And you know, that's kind of why we went that direction with the, the bridge desk that I posted recently and, you know, dropping a little bit of knowledge on pricing. Because as many of you listening to this show, there's millions of people out there that don't. And I wanted to add some value to the community in a, in a context of like, yeah, I sell custom work. Like I sell these products to people for a living. And if you want to do that, you could do it too. But that hasn't been a part of my core message until literally that video and on this show. So you guys can see how by not having my niche and not being focused on it um, and, and having having it like, I guess, basically written down as my core of what I want my content to be could really be confusing, not only for myself, but for other people watching. Because now I have a channel with 7 million views on it, which is fantastic and I'm super appreciative of, but I've only converted 90,000 subscribers out of that because I haven't created a community around my channel. I haven't created a core uh, you know, desire for people to come and watch my stuff. It's, you know, check out this cool project, check out this, how to price, you know, build something random for a stage prop, uh, you know, learn how to finish a table and kind of, you guys can see like pinged all over the place for the past couple of years. And it's been something I really am working on honing in when Brad, on the other hand, has recently very successfully hit, uh, like 11.5 million, uh, followers, right? Excuse me. Views. <laughs> that would be nice. 11.5 yeah. million views 11. on his channel. And subs. And we're just hanging out here. Has 275,000 <laughs> subscribers. And that goes in complement with his, what are you at? 350,000 on Instagram now? Like, so you, you see how Brad was able to focus in on the core viewer and the core individual quote unquote customer from his blog and convert it to YouTube. Brad's only, Brad's been on YouTube, I think. A year less than me, maybe six months less than I have as far as creating consistent content and has surpassed me because of that, because from the beginning, he knew niching down was the way to go. And content is like a very messy, difficult space to do that with just because there's so many outside influences too, right? You see someone else that's working for them. Do I want to jump on board? Is that going to take me out of my core? Like, you know, what's the deal there? And that's kind of where I've been floating and why I haven't had the success that I would like to have seen from all the work I put in. But when I take a step back and I, you know, I, I put extreme ownership into the situation, it's not anybody else's fault, but mine for creating this confusing situation for the viewer on, uh, as far as it goes to converting to a subscriber solely based around the fact that I'm not providing value every single week for them because there's no uh, there's no core story or journey that they're coming on in my content. It's more like here's a post, here's a post, here's a post, here's a post, and they're all individualistic. So taking a deep breath and taking a step back, when you're looking to start creating content, this is a much, much more um, important thing you need to be looking at from the beginning than after the fact. When in product, we were saying, make a bunch of stuff, see what's selling the best, you know, streamline that process and go down the path that you want to be going down and start morphing everything to the products that are selling best. This on the other hand is something that's like, you got to do some internal soul searching, right? Figure out what the market is, where the, where there's service that's underserved in the community and then create your content around that. Yeah. I think that, I think you're, you're right on Jada and a lot of us, and I know I've talked about it, right? Like that's not what I did at all. Right. I, I basically was like, yeah, I want to do YouTube videos. And, and like my designs and stuff did not differentiate themselves. And I kind of fell into this niche of, of really detailed instructions just because of my nature. Um, I didn't go out thinking about, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to differentiate myself by, by doing this. But uh, I, you know, I think the biggest thing that, and it's been interesting, obviously as we had 
our own personal conversations behind the scenes is that you, you know, the, the piece that we talked about on the product side, right? The intersection of passion that I think that, you know, that's the piece that a lot of people go out and that as you coming over on content, like, you know, we had a ton of those conversations, like, like what works on YouTube and, and how should I do it? And I remember, uh, you used to not really do voiceovers. Then like, I was like, dude, you got to do voiceovers. Right. And so I'm like pushing you towards what I think works and not knowing that like you hate doing voice and, and in the beginning, you know, you were like, when you were doing those voiceovers, like it was just such a chore and, and you could, you could hear it in your voice. Mm-hmm. I mean, like in your old videos, it was just like, you weren't into it. Like you would rather, uh, be doing kind of more of the montage stuff. But as we looked and saw what worked, so it's, it, it is, it's one of those things like you have to, you have to figure out where that intersection is because, um, you know, looking back like that, I, I was giving John bad advice there because I was trying to push him into something he didn't necessarily want to do or felt comfortable with. Um, and you know, not that he did it just cause I told him to, but just as we were brainstorming back and forth and like, what could work, what couldn't work, uh, that I think that's the, the in- interesting part. And, you know, that's one thing I really love about what you have done though, John, is like, you've tried a lot of different things. Like you've gone in, you did the vlog thing for a while. Um, and we're trying to do some of those and like it, the traction wasn't there and the same type of thing that, um, you know, going back to what we said on the product side, you, it, it was very hard for you because it was hard to keep up with that schedule of the daily plus your custom work. And you didn't have like an editor or anybody or a videographer to help you. So getting into it and looking at where you're going now and what you're trying to think through. I mean, I think you've got such a good perspective now of like, you've done so many of the different things, seen what's worked, seen what hasn't worked. And, um, you know, like we're, we're, we're going a little of a stretch here as far as like, if you go and look at total views versus subscribers, like that's a, that, that's a metric. Like that is absolutely a metric, but it's not going to land for everybody. Right. But in general, what that's going to say, right. If you just looked at everybody, um, it, it's almost like, um, you know, you look at it and, a lot of people, if you have a ton of views and a little and only a few subscribers that people really like the idea of what you're doing, but for whatever reason, it just didn't, there wasn't a hook of why they want to come back next week to see you again versus them just searching for another video of whatever it was. So maybe they were interested because it was epoxy and that's new to them and the thumbnail looked really cool. Uh, but what's that hook? Like, why are they coming back? And I think that's what we're getting at. And and my my metrics are extremely skewed recently because of of two videos that I have that went viral. Um, so you know, let's let's back it up. Like so, before that huge run, I maybe had 130,000, uh on seven or eight million views. Right. So uh, again, trying to look at if your view if your sub count versus your view count is is skewed, and and we don't know what that right number is. That's going to be different for everybody. But there's something there. There's something there. And, and, you know, if you go and look at some of the channels you like, you can go to Social Blade and go see like how many views they have. And, and you can start to see a pattern there, I think, is that the more people that uh, the people that have the higher ratio of subscriptions to viewers are people that are doing, a you know, it's a message that is niched down. There's a voice that's very consistent. And for whatever reason, uh, and, and it's different reasons for every single channel, people saw that and they're like, I want to see more of that more of that niche. And maybe it's, you know, like Bob, for instance, um, Bob Claggett from I Like to Make Stuff. He's all over the board. He makes stuff like from electronics to welding to woodworking to home renovations. But he's got a really high uh, ratio of subscriptions to views, even as, you know, as big as he is. He's over 2 million 
subs now, by the way. Congrats on that, Bob. That is fantastic. Over 2 million subs. So uh, again, just, just looking at that, I, I think it's an interesting thing. It's not the only number. So don't get hung up on that. Like if you go and look at it, like, what the heck? Why is it so low? Um, it, it's just one indicator. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not it's not something it's just giving you an indicator of uh, is are things resonating? Do people want to stay? Do they come in and do they want to stay for for, you know, the next show? So I think the I think the importance there and the reason I was getting so deep into it is that both of those are extremely valuable as a content creator. Views are super important as are subscribers, especially when you're looking for uh, sponsorship opportunities. So. It is fantastic that I have 7 million views on my channel. I make ad revenue on views. Like that's nice. It's great. And I would not, I would not trade that for more subs is what I'm saying. What I'm, what I want to convey here is the fact that if you're trying to build a core tribe or an, uh, any type of audience that is valuable is that you need to be thinking about the niche itself specifically and have the mindset based on that viewer each and every time you produce a piece of content. For me, for instance, I wasn't really caring up until about a couple months ago on who was watching my stuff. I just wanted to make cool stuff and put it out there. So with that, leaves an, a lot of opportunity to have things that are busts or things that go viral. Like the river table, for instance, thing went viral, changed the entire layout of my channel, but it had very terrible conversion in the scheme of numbers for subscribers from views solely because There wasn't a reason for someone to want to come and watch my next video. When you're building an audience or a tribe on a a content platform like YouTube, you want to be giving people a reason to come back next week or next video. So that way, when that little notification or something pops up, boom, they're jumping right in. And I think the, the vlogging community does a fantastic job of this. And a lot of the successful ones in getting people to convert video to video to video to video just because... Um, they're telling a story, they're bringing you along on the journey, they're showing a lot more of their personality and all of these things matter when it comes to uh, when they're creating the content, you know, am I in front of the video? Am I telling something that is valuable to the community? Am I showing it off in a beautiful way? And these are all mindset aspects that go into the content production instead of focusing the content production around the product itself specifically. So I think it's very interesting to look at uh, the dynamic of views compared to subs, especially on YouTube and think about niching down because there's just so many directions you can go. But you look at some like someone like a Bobby Duke's art. If you guys aren't familiar, check them out. R- ridiculously cool stuff. Very viral content. It's insanely entertaining to watch his videos. So you subscribe to his channel because of that. You want to be entertained each time he puts something out. And some of them do much larger than others. But like he's not sitting there trying to teach you how to do what he's doing. He's just showing you some cool stuff. He's entertaining, jump in front of the camera, commenting on it. It's a different dynamic than say someone who, uh, you know, would be doing a a piece of content around educating the community on a very specific detail oriented stuff. That's a much deeper core. You know, Bobby's probably got a fantastic business set up with his, his channel, but I could uh, assume that it'd be a little bit wider because the stuff he does is a lot wider when you would think about, you know, someone like a Spags who's very deep in the core audience and he's serving them each and every time specifically. And he doesn't have as much viral content, both super valuable, but depending on your business model, you know, you want to make sure that you are following your niche to where it's, where it's taking you and in, in that, that kind of like, you know, perfect customer 
Um, and so when you're developing a content strategy, you want to be focusing on that. You want to be focusing on who do you want to watch this yeah. and how on can each video yes. and how does it link together? How right? can, how can I link these together and how can, cause you're trying to build a brand, not just put a viral piece of content out there. And that's kind of where I make a mistake is instead of focusing on the brand and the core of the brand for the past two years, I was focusing on putting out a cool piece of content and there's a huge difference. You know, if a piece of content go viral, that's great, but we notice it and you're like, wow, why aren't I converting? It's because that thing's a standalone piece of content. There's no reason for them to buy into John Malecki's brand for the next piece. So you can see the differences there. You can see why the niche niching down can become beneficial to what you're doing, especially as a content creator. And you can kind of see the conundrum of like where I've been because I was always making content around whatever was happening. And then that was it, just dumping it kind of thing. And instead of capitalizing on that being my core, on, you know, adding more value for uh, selling product, adding more value for um, people that wanted to follow along with my custom clientele work. I went the other direction and was like, I got to start making other stuff for YouTube specifically. And that's kind of where we've had this like hodgepodge of, well, now what's going on? So you can see the differences there on how staying true to the core and then taking small, subtle turns can be beneficial to a brand. You can also see how taking drastic right and left turns can, uh, hit you with an awesome viral piece of content, but it can also not have that growth in the core audience that you could be looking for. Yeah. And if you are looking, if you do have, and I've seen like, there's been some great, like, uh, uh, our buddy, uh, Johnny from Johnny builds, uh, like seeing mm-hmm. that he did a, uh, epoxy, uh, dining table reclaimed and, and filled, filled some of the cracks with, a, with epoxy looked awesome. I haven't looked at it in a while, but I think it has like over 3 million views. Right. So like, when you're you're gonna have you might not have a video that does three million and and not many of us do, uh, including John and myself. Although John is right on the doorstep with his river table, but if you if you don't have a video that's in the millions, you know a viral video. Let's just let's just say an outlier. An outlier for you might be a hundred thousand views. Like right, if if you're averaging five or seven thousand uh, per video, and you have one that goes for a hundred thousand. Uh, that's that's great. That's awesome. And like those are so hard to predict. Like you can't you just you can't try to make those viral videos and live on that. Like it's it's you can take a flyer every once in a while, and I and I think it is worth doing that. Um, like my wireless charging desk. Like I put the hidden charging in it because I knew that uh, that would be something. You know, I knew wireless charging is kind of hot in the right now and that hidden always kind of does well. So I was like, I'm going to, you know, instead of just making a desk, I'm going to do this and I'm going to add a few little things to try to make it, to try to make it go. Um, but in all honesty, if that thing had have had, you know, 50 to 80,000 views in the first 30 days, I would have been very happy with it. And I, that would have been probably exactly what I expected. Um, the fact that it went off, you know, is, is something that you can't predict. So, uh, you know, don't get down if you don't have those viral pieces, but if you do have them, try to take something away from them. And then also, like I said, you look at that conversion rate. And I think that was what, you know, John and I looked at. Um, and there was a lot of things that went into that wireless. So it was just, again, kind of uh, a lot of good things coming together at the same time um, that weren't necessarily all planned is that that one for me and the reason why my channel has taken off so much has a very, very high conversion ratio. And so, you know, when you look at, when I look at that piece of content, it kind of tells me like, okay, like I've, I kind of hit on something here. Like I kind of hit on something that an audience wants to see from me in that style. I gave a ton of tips, but I incorporated some new technology. So that's something I'm trying to think about of like, 
How can I incorporate new, you know, electronic technology and things like that? Um, so it, it's just really, when you sit back and look at your videos, think about how everything ties together and then look at those ones that pop off and, and kind of ask yourself why, why did it go? And then also, did I get a lot of subs from that or did I not? And why? Right. And so you can start shaping a message and figuring out your niche and like what works for you. And, and again, taking those five degree turns. So like I said, so for me, I say, oh, I'm, I'm probably going to start incorporating some more electronics into my work. And like, how can I do some more things uh, like that, that, um, you know, work into kind of your everyday life that we're using cell phones and, you know, maybe it's something with TVs or, or whatever. And uh, those are just little, little learnings and things that as you try to build your niche, use the signals that um, your audience has given you. Yeah. And there's also uh, things to consider with those metrics as well. Like, do you want your channel to be based around virality or do you want it to be based around creating a core audience um, and adding value to them over an extended period of time? So Brad hammered on both of those points right there. Um, just keep those things in mind. But when, you know, like the whole point of this conversation was to make sure that you're thinking about it. You know, a lot of us just fall, let that kind of stuff fall to the wayside where we don't put any planning we don't do anything that's structure. You know, a uh, call comes in for a piece of custom work, like boom, you build it. Or, you know, client calls you, like for instance, a sponsor calls me, you know, wants to do a video, boom, I take it. Instead of thinking about my core audience, instead of thinking about, does this add value to my community? You know, where's, what am I trying to do here? Am I trying to make money for me or am I trying to build a tribe of people that will last me a lifetime? Um, so, you know, keep those things in mind. Niching down is something that, like Brad, like we said earlier, a lot of the uh, professional speakers and, and, you know, kind of books and content out there are based around for a reason. Um, it's important. Uh, do a little research on your own if that's something you want to dive more into because there's tons of valuable information out there. Um, and we will link to the book, uh, yeah, Seth Godin's Tribes. As we, uh, you one know, of one of our favorites and like, this was a great episode, uh, talking around the central core concept of that book, at least in our eyes. Um, and we'll have a link for that for you in the show notes. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so, so get out there and, uh, you know, don't, don't get overwhelmed too. You don't have to solve it. And if you don't know what your niche is, you know, don't let that overwhelm you either. Keep doing what you're doing and look for that intersection of what works and what you're passionate about. And that, you know, you that's where you're going to be sustainable. Awesome, man. Good episode, dude. I like just getting a little deeper into the behind the scenes there. And yeah, let us know what you think. So head on over uh, and let us know if you're in the Facebook group. Let us know what's what you think about it over there. Um, if you're not part of that Facebook group already, you can head over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash made for profit tribe. And uh, you can see that in the show notes as well at episode uh, made for profit.com forward slash episode 67. I just totally stole John's outro. Sorry about that, John. He did all good. Rolling. But I want to make sure uh, also to remind you guys that if you are interested in snagging up some WorkbenchCon tickets early um, before the price increase at the end of October to head on over to bit.ly forward slash WBC 2019. Grab yourself a ticket and we will see you down there. Absolutely. All right, man, let's go hit the patron after show. Let's do it.